I went for a, a week down to my sister's and kept her cat. I was cat sitting, and I think I caught an allergy. You know, cats can do that to you. I went to my head, can't uh, kind of shake it. So I, I'm on this antibiotic that's got my throat really dry. And I thought, man, if I keep singing, that was a great song. I keep singing, I'm not going to have a voice. So bear with me this morning on all of that. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. I'm excited to continue this series through the book of Romans. We finished up chapter 4 when I was with you last. Um, and from Romans 5, it's, you know, well, really Romans 4 on, it starts really getting good and exciting because we get out of the, the chapters that are so um, damning because of our sin uh, and into the grace of God. Let me read Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for the one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, will, we, shall, will, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. All right. When I looked at this passage, it's so rich, I thought, well, I, you know, I could break this up into about three or four sermons. And the more I looked at it, I said, I could easily do that, but to do so, I would miss the spirit of the passage. And I don't want you to miss the spirit of the passage, because in this passage, it should really overwhelm you with the joy we have because of our justification. And a lot of times, I don't think you have weeks where you're filled with the joy of your justification. And because we're not often filled with it, it's because we're missing the spirit of the passage. We know some of the details, but sometimes looking at the details, you miss the big picture. And I want you to see the big picture this morning because it, it, it's exciting. Let me give you a quick overview. We'll come back and, and grab some of the, the details. But, 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 but see, see what he's doing here. He uses exult three times. And he uses not only this two times, which breaks the sections up for us. But notice 
notice the excitement he has. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith. Now, therefore is because he's been dealing with for three chapters on our sin. And then in chapter four, he begins to show us we are, we're reconciled. We, we belong to God because Christ has given us his righteousness. He's taken our sin, giving us his righteousness. And because he does that for us, we are right with God. We're justified. Because we're justified, we rejoice. And he gets, you know, excited. I've been justified. I have peace with God and I rejoice. Verse, um, the end of verse two, we exult in the hope of the glory. So I'm rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God because of this justification. Verse three, not only this. That's not enough joy. That was joy. But there's more. Not only this, we also exult in our tribulations. Hold the phone, think about that a minute. And then you get down to verse 11. So verses 3 through 10, he's talking about these tribulations and the benefits we get through them. Verse 11, he says, but that's not enough. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received the reconciliation. Do you you begin to sense the excitement here? To to me, it's like a child that is so excited, and we've all seen this child so excited. The parents are talking, and they want to interrupt, and they want to get in there. They've got this message that's really important, and they're excited, and they're dancing around, you know, like they're about to wet their pants and just burst forth to tell you this story. And that's what Paul is doing. He He says, because we have the righteousness of Christ now put into our account, he says, I rejoice. I am reconciled with God. I have hope of glory. But wait, 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 wait. There's more. There's these tribulation benefits that I get. I get so much. People have bad days, but my bad days become better days because I've justified. Wait, 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 wait. There's more. And not only that, I am reconciled to God and I see his face and I'm going to him. And he's coming to me and he's so excited. Wouldn't it be great if we had the passion of a child of God like this so that we just burst full into the joy of Christ? That's what he's doing. Sometimes we get bogged down. And I don't want you to get bogged down. I want you to see the richness of the details, but I want you to get the spirit of it. I want you to flow out. You know, this is, this is just a, a spilling over. Christ has put so much into us We just spill over with joy and passion and love. There are peace benefits, tribulation benefits, reconciliation benefits. See this. This cold's got my breath. It's great running out of breath when you love God. He makes me breathless this morning. Think about... Even three levels, because I see when he keeps saying, not only this, not only this, not only this, it's like he's starting at the base level, and it grows, and it grows until you're at the mountaintop, and you're just exhilarated because of the benefits of Christ. There's benefits that give you peace with God. Not only this, there's tribulation benefits. That's even greater. And then not only this, there's this reconciliation that's coming that's so great, 
It's unbelievable, and it's breathless. Well, let's start with the first, the benefits of peace with God. First couple of verses. It makes, getting right with God makes every day better. It says, therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that a minute. Justification brings peace. We're not hanging out underneath the wrath of God anymore. It's like not being out, not being under the path of the storm. Some people think, you know, yeah, I, I missed the path of the storm. And, and, and I guess I just got lucky. No, 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 friends. This is not a matter of luck. I have been spared the wrath of God I deserved. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, therefore, I have been justified. I've been made right with God. I have a peace with God. When before I had his wrath, I was under the wrath of God. Now I have the peace with God. Don't miss. It's not of God. It's peace with God. You see the difference? Good translations help you see specific words. The peace of God is significant. You probably all, maybe you've memorized that verse in Philippians 4 that says, you know, don't be anxious for everything. Rejoice. Don't be anxious for everything. And everything by prayer and supplication make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know that verse? So there's this peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. That's not what he's talking about in Romans 5.1. He's not talking about the peace of God that's just unbelievable. But he said, before you get the peace of God, you have to be at peace with God. A lot of people don't have the peace of God because they're not at peace with God. Peace with God comes through justification alone. You must be right with God before you'll have the peace of God. And that's what Paul's excited about. Because you get the peace with God, all these things start growing. They start building. And you get more and more excited. So see this peace with God that he gives. It's a peace with God. It's not a peace with deceivers. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm excited that I'm not going to get to heaven one day and have God say, fool, that'd be terrible. Fooled you. We're not really straight. We've got unfinished business. We're not really at peace. See, this peace with God is, is, is a, it's a big deal. Peace with him. I've had people in my life, you've probably had them in yours, just a few, who've wanted to get me fired, wanted to get me removed, you know, done crazy things. Some of those people are still in the community. I know who they are. They know who they are. Thankfully, that's not an ongoing problem, and that's, you know, a small problem. But when I see these people, and they see me, we know what's going on behind the scenes, and we know what you see in public and what happens in private. Sometimes two different things, isn't it? And so when I see these people who I know in the past have worked hard to damage me, I give them a greeting. Hey, how are you doing? Good to see you again. 
missed you, whatever. Give them a hug sometimes. Why? There's a place for loving your enemies. That's Romans 12. We're getting there. But there's still that enemy relationship, that adversarial relationship. You know, even though you can be nice to these people, even though you can love these people, even though you can pray for these people, you know that if push comes to shove, you're at war with these people. There's not real peace, or they're at war with you. They're schemers. They're deceivers. They say one thing in public and another thing in private. We don't have a God like that. Isn't that, what a joy to, to know when I get to heaven, God's not going to say, fooled you. Uh, it was just something I said. No, the God we're going to meet in private is the same God we have met in public. He's not scheming us. He's not scamming us. He's not deceiving us. He's going to say, you have peace with me. There's nothing else between you and me. We're never, ever at war. We're at peace. What a benefit that we get. And it's beyond really comprehension. Second, I want you to see not only this peace with God, he says access, verse 2, through whom we have also obtained an introduction. Word could be access. It's like a a doorway. I've, I've, I've been introduced. When you open the door, I've been introduced into a whole new world. I have access now to something. He says, you've been introduced through this justification by faith, into this grace in which we stand. What is that? Access into God's grace. Well, think mediatorial work of Christ, because that's how Christ describes it. The mediator, there's one mediator between God and us, that's Christ, Christ, the God-man Jesus. That mediator gives us access. He's the one who introduces us to the grace of of God. So being at peace with God, we then get introduced into a whole new realm of grace. We get to see the architect and designer of heaven and earth and hell, our bodies, our souls. We're introduced into the one who is behind all of this. And we're introduced to him in such a way that he wants to extend to us grace through Christ. So think about that. To be introduced into a relationship with God, you're introduced into his wisdom. You begin to hear from him and he speaks to you and you speak to him and he teaches you. And it just fills you with more and more joy. And that's where he's going with this. He says, we're introduced into this uh, grace of God. It gives us all the fullness of God. I mean, can you plunge the fullness of God? I've been introduced to this God who's infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, his wisdom, his power, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, his truth. And not only that, not only am I seeing more and more and more of God, but he introduces all of himself to his church. And in his church, he fills his church with his spirit, and his spirit is full of power. And as I look at God's church, I see a body that comes together to encourage one another, to edify one another, to build one another up, to strengthen one another. And we're all headed to this place where we're conformed to the image of Christ. And I'm introduced to all of that through Christ. 
What a benefit. Justification starts this process of knowing more and more fully the power, the beauty, the benefits of Christ, His church, and all that it has for us. Boredom and insignificance just goes out the door. When you begin to focus on what you've been introduced into, it's, it's enriching, it's in, it just thrills us. Well, we, we have this access, the last part of verse 2, into this grace in which we stand, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Now, you know uh, hope in the Bible is it's not a wish. It's, it's, um, it's a determined certainty. It's the conviction of what we've not seen. He says, when we've been introduced into this, this, this hope of seeing the glory of God, just, like I said, I don't want to take too much time to, 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 to break that down, but think about introduced to the glory of God. The, the, the longer I'm in the faith, the more time I spend with Christ, the more I want. It's, it's addicting. You just want more. You want more because Christ has so much more to give. And you look at people like Moses or Elijah, men who were very close to God. Scripture even says, and they saw him face to face. Well, these are men who didn't see God face to face, but they, they cried out for it. God, we want to see your glory. And then you get into the New Testament and John, the Apostle John says, the Word was in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. I said, wow, what is that? Because I have the hope of that. I have the hope of seeing the glory of God. What did John see when he saw the glory of God. He says right there in that passage, no one has seen any, no one has seen God at any time, but we have beheld his glory. So not just talking about a, a physical image of God, but it's the glory of God, the weightiness of God, the significance of God. He was beginning to see the glory. How about you? You've seen the glory of God's forgiving heart. You begin to see the glory of his love for sinners. You begin to see the glory of the significance of his battle against Satan and sin. You begin to see the glory of resurrection and life. You begin to see the glory of his ascension into heaven to sit at the right hand of God as king of kings. We're introduced into this glory of God. He says, wow, just because we were justified by faith in Christ. What do you see? Do you see the glory? Oh, wait, 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 wait. not only this, okay? Stay with the Spirit. Verse 3, there's more. He says, we have these great benefits, peace with God, access into His grace, an introduction into His glory. But wait, 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 wait. there's more. There's tribulation benefits. Verses 3 through 10. Not only this, we also exult. I mean, we're rejoicing, but even more, our tribulations, knowing tribulations brings perseverance. Now, let me just say real quickly, he is not saying, I am glad to be, to be in a trial, to have a tribulation. 
He's not saying that. He's not saying our trials are fun. They're not, he's not saying trials are joyful. He's saying I rejoice through the trials because the trials are doing something for me. They're, make, they're definitely putting us at a place where we feel helpless. And he talks about being helpless. There's a time, verse 6, for while we were still helpless. So I think he's, he's describing these trials as a helpless time. But in that state of helplessness and feeling of helplessness, we rejoice because these trials, they do something for us. They give us benefits. And he mentions four. So what benefit do they give us? There's the benefit of perseverance, the benefit of proven character, the benefit of hope, and the benefit, I think, of more love. And every trial that we go through, we get this benefit of perseverance. We get this benefit of proven character. We get this benefit of more hope, and we get this benefit of more love. It doesn't mean that we go seeking trials, but we all know we're going to have them. You're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. Justification makes the good days better. It makes the bad days, or even your worst days, understandable. And if they're understandable, they're tolerable. If God is actually doing something through our worst days, oh, I understand what God's doing. See, then it makes it bearable. Then I can rejoice that it's, it's not insignificant. It's like, God, why did you give me this cold? Why, is, why am I losing my voice? Why am I running out of air? There's a reason, David. Stop and think that you have a designer, that he is doing something significant in your life by giving you faith in Christ. And he's also taking your trials, he's taking your tribulations to give you perseverance, to give you proven character, to give you hope, and to give you more and more love. A lot of people, when we go through trials, we're ready to run. We're ready to tap out. We're ready to get rid of them quickly. Instead of saying, God, is it your design? Is it your plan for me to, to weather this storm? Because if I weather the storm, is that going to do something for me? And God says, yes. If I have you there in that storm, it will not be without purpose. It will be significant. I will, first of all, give you perseverance. Think about the perseverance. How do we get perseverance? We get it through realizing that when God has purchased us, it all goes back to redemption, justification. When we have been purchased by Christ's blood, our bodies, Paul says, no longer our own. God wants to glorify himself in our bodies. He says, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Now, think about that. If God has designed my body and he wants me to glorify him with my body, then this trial is somehow useful to God to bring him glory. And what that does for us in trials is it keeps us from, from focusing on this worldly thought that I'm losing it, I'm coming unglued, my body's falling apart, and the whole world should just be damned kind of thing. It's like, no, 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 no. That's the wrong focus. The Christian focus is these trials did not ruin my life. God is glorifying himself through my body. And if God is doing something through my body in this trial, I can hang on. That's the perseverance. I can stay the course as long as I know it's worth it. It matters to my creator. 
The course is short. It's temporal. It's earthly. So for Christians, the trials give us focus. It gives us focus again on God. God is doing something. He didn't purchase us to throw us into the fire to destroy us, but to take us through the fire. And it gives us perseverance through that fire. And then secondly, he says, proven character. The second thing, knowing the tribulation not only brings about perseverance, verse 4, perseverance, proven character. And the proven character, that's not talking about a moral character. It's a proven, it's, it's an experience. You know that when you go through things, you now have experience on your resume. People say, how'd you do that? See, it's, it's the experience that he's talking about here. Going through the trial instead of just running from it. Now you have a, a character that's, that's grown, that's significant, that you, that you can talk about how God has taken you through it. That's the kind of character he's talking about here. And not only proving character, there's, there's hope. Hope, uh, it's, it's a stronger assurance. It's a further proof. Um, you know, um, when we're going through trials, you start to feel helpless. You feel like nobody knows the troubles you've seen. And you're the only one. And nobody feels it like you feel it. But you know, there's something that goes on we don't talk about too much, but we know it's true. There's a spiritual communication going on between us and God, isn't there? There's times when God is speaking to us, and we're speaking to Him, and nobody's hearing the words. It's, it's this internal communication with God. And it's the communication that we're getting, it's hope. And it, the best way I can describe it for you is if, if you're in the hospital bed, you're the one having the trial, the bodily uh, struggles, and in comes your mom, and she just lays her hand on your arm, touches you, and you, no words have been said, and you, your, your thoughts, this communication's happening, because you've heard her say it a number of times, honey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And it's some of that communication happens between us and God. If the one who has designed the trial and the one who has designed my body comes to me in the dead of night and says, David, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Well, then it's going to be all right. And, and that's that spiritual communication. That's, that's the hope that comes to us in the midst of the trials. I think Paul is talking about it. He says, we, we, we get this peace with God. We get perseverance with God. We get this character with God. But we get a hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint. It's never disappointing, he says. Because the love of God, see, it's that love of a mother, the love of a father, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given us. It's a spiritual thing. He pours within, into our bodies this spirit that communicates and comforts and assures and gives us hope. I can make it. Oh, it's going to be okay. What a benefit because we're going to have those trials. Well, you get hope and then further you get more love. Verses 6 he begins to introduce it. He says, this, something's happening within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In verse 6 through uh, 10, he, he gives us an argument, and it's the argument of love. 
It's the argument that you're going to have more love. Verse 6, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will hardly do that, you know, for a righteous person. Perhaps someone will. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified. So here, this is the conclusion of the argument. Much more than if you've been justified by his blood, you shall be saved from his wrath through him. For if while we were yet enemies, so he changed it from sinners to enemies. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more. Having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. Do you ever go through a trial and say, this is going to kill me? He said, well, but God says it's going to give me stay in power. It's going to enable me to persevere. It's going to give me an experience that he's going to use in ministry to others as well as me. And then it's going to give me hope that it's not all done. It's not all, all over. It's going to be okay. But besides that, he's going to communicate to me more love. He said, I don't feel more love. Well, he says, stop and think about that a minute. He says, if Christ loved you while you were a sinner, if Christ loved you while you were his enemy, you were not pleasing him, you were not doing anything for him. If God would love you then, how much more will he love you now that you're saved, son and daughter of God who is pursuing holiness and righteousness in him? He says he's going to love you more. He has to. It just grows like that. There's going to be more love, not less love. And what a comfort in the midst. So he says these are tribulation benefits. The world doesn't have these benefits. These are the benefits only Christians have. Uh, some of you stare at me like, ah, oh, break that down. Let me give you a contrast. Look at Romans 1. I'm going to give you a contrast of, of these benefits. Romans 1, here's the unbeliever. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, and he goes on. Notice what's happening to the unbeliever. When they are going through trials, when they're rejecting God and benefits that come through Christ, God says, I give them over. He says it three times there. I give them over. I give them over. They're saying I'm against them. They're saying I'm mad at them. I, they're not seeking me. They don't worship and adore me. I'll just let them have more of that. I'll give them over to those thoughts. I'll give them over to those passions. I'll get, give them over to those lusts. And they get to the place where they're literally coming unglued and sinning in total disregard that there even is a God. And they talk about wanting to keep their lives together, to hold it together until the end, and they just run further and further from God. You see, that's not what's happening to us at all. 
They're being given over what? You follow chapter 1 into chapter 2. They're being given over to more and more of the wrath of God. And chapter 2 verse 4 says they're even storing up for themselves the wrath of God. So the wrath of God is about to be poured out upon them. And they feel it. And they're coming unglued. Therefore, we have peace with God. We're not coming unglued. God's wrath isn't being stored up. God's doing something with us that's changing our world. Let me give you a couple passages in 1 Peter. I saw this really just this morning. 1 Peter, uh, as much as I've studied 1 Peter, it's, like it just, it's, it's interesting. 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 5 were the exact same versification. Verses 5 through 9 give an interesting kind of commentary to the believer in suffering. Um, let me read uh, 1 Peter 5 first. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 9. It says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he's given grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober in spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. I mean, there's his kind of commentary that suffering is not bad for you. He says... The saints experience, common experience, we suffer. He says, but think about what God is doing. Instead of being under the mighty hand of God, you're humbled. And through that humility, through coming back to him as a child, God's blessing you. Let me show you some of the blessings. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 of 1 Peter. Who are, so he's talking about us, we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials so that the proof, proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, by the way, even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Now think about that for a minute. The non-believer, they're, they're struggling, and they're struggling with all of their trials, trying to always find a way out of them. But we are blessed. We, we have benefits in tribulation. We have benefits of God at work, glorifying himself. 
giving us experiences that bring us closer and closer and closer to God because in our helpless state we cry out to God and cry, God cries out back to us. He fills us with His Spirit and as He fills us with His Spirit we grow more and more in love with Him and instead of wanting to run from that experience we embrace it. We go into it and as a result of it He says we start to rejoice because when we burst through that trial even if we have to wait and burst through it at the close of death we obtain as a result the salvation of our souls it's like we never lose it just grows into an exalted place where we rejoice he says inexpressible joy is ours through the trials through the suffering whereas the unbeliever they're coming apart at the seams and just storing up wrath that will be poured out upon them to their destruction What a glory it is to be right with God, to be justified. You know, when I was a kid, I used to see these signs nailed to trees going down the highway. Get right with God. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. I don't know why people, I I didn't have a clue. Why, Why are they doing that? That's litter, you know? Why are they doing this? I didn't know what it was. I didn't have a clue what it was. Now, it means everything. Getting right with God is getting justified, being just before God. Getting right with God means everything. When you're right with God, you have peace with God. You have access into his grace. You have an introduction into his glory. When you are right with God, you have benefits in tribulation. The best days get more and more significant and importance, and it fills you with staying power. It gives you proven character. It gives you hope, and it gives you more and more of that beautiful, wonderful experience of the embrace and love of God. What a joy it is to be right with God. Wait, 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 wait. not only this, okay? Verse 11. Not, he said, there's this more. Not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It's like, well, I thought that's what you were talking about. Not only this, we exult, don't miss it, in God. Up until now, we've really been talking about benefits that we get. I get peace with God. I get all these benefits through tribulation because of God. But now, there's more. Now, I get God. Now, I get to rejoice in who He is, not just in what He does. He says, there's there's more. We get to see him, and we get to rejoice in him, who he is, in all of his glory. Uh, We're going to see God. There's a future judgment. There's a meeting with God. How many people look forward to that with joy? He says, that's where we should be. It's like, not only that, we get to meet God on that judgment day when we see him face to face, we get to see him face to face with unexpressible, unbelievable joy because we're reconciled, having now received the reconciliation. So instead of storing up for ourselves wrath and expecting to see when we see God, his frown and his anger and his wrath poured out, He says, all that's off the table. 
And we get to see, when we see God, we get to see his glory. We get to see his love. We get to, we get to see him without fear. Without fear of destruction. There's this settledness. There's this hope that's sure. It's, 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 it's more and it's greater. Um, what do you see of God? What do you see of God rejoicing in? What, is, what does it mean to rejoice in God himself? Uh, we rejoice in a life we can't lose. It's just not only this, we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received the reconciliation. Um, God is more. God is infinite. God is eternal. God is unchangeable. We don't know any being like that, but God, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. We see this God is the God who knew us before the foundation of the world. When I see him, he's known me longer than I've known me, longer than my mother knew me. He saw me in my mother's womb. He was the one forming me in the womb of my mom, and he brought me out, and he brought me into this world, and he is conforming me to the image of Christ, and he sees me there already, and he seated me at the right hand of Christ as one who's conformed, who's one who's, who measures up. And when I die, I get to see that God, that God who sees me that way. A God who sees that he's purchased me by Christ's blood to justify me, to make me right with God, to give me peace with God, to bless me through the trials and sufferings of this life, and then to bring me to his glory as one conformed to the image of Christ. Have you had a week of joy? How do you get to be a joyful Christian? I think here's the key passage. To to be joyful in good days and in bad, there must be a focus on our justification, being right with God. You don't get joyful by changing the circumstances, focusing on how you can escape. The focus comes When you focus on, I have been purchased by his blood, I've been saved by his life. That changes everything. That makes me at peace with the one who designed heaven and earth. I'm at peace with the one who has created the storm and directs the path of the wind. I'm at peace with that one. And he blesses me even through the storm, doesn't abandon me. But he's taking me into it with the promise. I will grow with great experience and character. I will have perseverance. I will make it. It will be okay. I have the hope of that. And I have his comfort and assurance. He's going to love me more after it than he loved me before it. It's just going to love me more and more and more. And then when I get to heaven, when I get to see him face to face and I see Christ in his glory, 
or God in his glory, I will probably think that I'm going to fall down like everybody else in Scripture as a dead man before him, lifeless, realizing I am unworthy to see his glory. And yet I'm going to look up in that condition and I'm going to see not a scowl, not an angry God rather ready to pour out wrath, but I'm going to see a God with a broad smile. I'm going to see a God who's running to his prodigal son, even waiting to, to embrace me as though I've been away for a long time because he loves me. And though I fall down as a dead man, he comes and he says, get up, son, get up. Because of the imputation of Christ's righteousness to your account, there are no debts to be paid. They're paid. And you can now enter your glory. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray together. Father, it's really too much for me to contemplate the greatness of being right with God. Thank you for Romans 5, 1 through 11. May it become more and more a focus of our lives that we are what we are by divine grace, that we've been right, made right with God as a gift of God. We've been given faith. We've been given repentance. But more than that, more than that, we've been given the righteousness of Christ, imputed to our account so that our standing is always without spot, without blemish, without any deficiency whatsoever that would keep us from being before you. What a blessing. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us so. May our hearts spill out the love we have for you. May we with passion commend you to others because there's no other life like this. It's a life of exhilarating joy. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.